0: Detroit. I have to put a podcast out tomorrow, so I just hit the record button. We're sitting in the bar at the hotel for Speed Ring. I'm with a bunch of my dudes with Sean from Grid Life, hey, with hey. Mike from Grid Life, and with Chris Sullivan, the delicious hey. photographer over there who's got the worst pictures on his phone you've ever seen. Or the, best. the debauchery. The
1: composition's beautiful. Oh, it's Contents beautiful. Questions.
0: Shoots beautiful automotive photography. He also shoots nightclubs. There's very interesting things, and it's fun. And with Gary Cummings, what's up, Gary? Hey. Gary is, is he hails from Atlanta. Uh, Yo. And <laughs> he's got a little bit of that draw, uh, but he lived abroad for many many years. 917. Uh, yeah, there's Porsche 917. What do you know about Porsche 917s, Gary?
2: Not a whole lot. No. A little bit before the time. First motor race I ever went to with my dad was 1969 on a track outside of Munich, Germany. What? And, <laughs> and somewhere, I had pictures of these wedge-shaped cars at the end of the day going blasting by, but unfortunately, I lost them a long time ago.
0: When? Uh, so, Gary, you you spent about what 25 years abroad? Yeah. Working on race teams. Uh, yeah, left the States. Always
2: wanted to race in, in Europe. Okay. And uh, was at Le Mans the first time in 1980. And then uh, 81, 82, 84. We finished uh, second in 84. And at Le Mans. Second in no Le Mans with the swap shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a call Michaelucci myself, worked on the car basically. And a little bitty, tiny team at that point,
0: and. Uh, and for reference, you're uh, you a consultant, and you're working with us at GridLife now. Yes, which that's is correct. very strange. <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs>
0: so stay in school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might. You might. And you might swirl the toilet enough to end up with. Gr- <laughs> <laughs> so what got you into? Uh, what got you into working in? Europe racing. Uh, I always want to blame it on Lime Rock. Okay. And
2: uh, <clears throat> we were in Lime Rock before they paved the uh, paddock, and it rained like hell. And this is back in the days when nobody had kiwi tile, and we're, you know, you're working out of fifth-wheel trailers, right, and right. you took plywood, and we came in uh, in the morning, and it, it rained, and I think we were in the lower paddock. So you're working at a swamp. And, uh, yeah. And uh, there were about five inches of water. Okay, uh, that sounds fun. In in the car, and we're slopping around. And what I go, you, you know what? Nuremberg if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, if <laughs> I'm gonna stand in the pouring rain, I'm gonna go to like the Nurburgring or something.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be in Connecticut. And uh, yeah, what, what were you? Uh, what, what car? What car were you running
2: well, I think the year that was, that was a 935. But oh, no uh, big deal. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we had run there the. Uh, I think the last time when I went there, we were with Redmond with the T600 with the Lola. Okay. And uh, in 81, we actually won. All right. We actually won there uh, with Garretson. And uh, just one of those things. Had the, you know, single, no kids. Yeah. Wanted to live the dream. And uh, knew some of the European teams and applied at the end of uh, 84. Okay. To uh, to three different teams that I knew overseas and actually got a job offer with Fitzpatrick in England. Okay. And went over and worked with uh, worked with uh, Fitz and
0: uh, What was your role starting off uh, over there?
2: Uh, I was crew chief. Okay. Uh, Well, in 85 I mean I started off as, I was very lucky when I uh, when I started back in the 70s just want to be a race car driver. Yeah. You know, and then realize it's a really hard thing to do.
0: It's not easy. And it's, uh, not, it's even, not easy. It's, it's not, not even easy doing like two races a year with <clears throat> me. You know. It's not hard. I mean, it's not fun to crash your car and have to fix it I, yourself.
2: I was uh, I was very lucky. I I, uh, I was actually at the University of Florida. All right. And uh, a buddy of mine raced offshore powerboats. And he raced powerboats uh, with Preston Hinn. And Preston, at that point, was racing offshore powerboats. And Preston had bought a uh, a 365 GTB Daytona race car. Mm -hmm. And it had raced at Le Mans in the early 70s. And Old Blue, it was blue. Mm -hmm. And um, they wanted to race it at Daytona. And I've been in SCCA with Hal Salman. He was the buddy. And I was up at Gainesville U of F. And he said, hey, we're putting together a little team. Why don't you come over? And, uh, you know, I was real enthusiastic and kind of didn't know what I was going to do in school. Just lend a hand. Lend a hand. And um, Preston offered me a job. And uh, I went down to Fort Lauderdale, worked on the offshore powerboat team.
0: What kind of uh, drivetrains and everything were those things running back then?
2: Uh, we had some really trick guys uh, that had worked at Mercury. And we were running uh, 494s, twin 494s, and then big we went GM to 505. Eggs, great okay. big Lucas injection, you know. What year is 15 this? 15-inch stacks. This is uh, 70- 70... <laughs> Eight
0: big Hillborn injection. Yeah, and great, oh,
2: great, big, rad. great, big stuff. <laughs> I mean, massive gobs of torque. Yeah. And the uh, we had a diner room, and the diner room. I mean, just the building shook when you had one of those things what on kind of the. How
0: were they
2: making? Uh, a thousand horsepower. Uh, no, they weren't. They were just normally injected, and because of the, it's really hard to do it in a boat because you're just constantly on and off the throttle all the time. Yep. All those guys had a lot of drivetrain issues. Okay. That um, break from and the, and that's uh, why oh. in 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 powerboat racing the driver's not the star it's the throttle one okay you know the guy who trims the boat and keeps it from spinning out and yeah and uh, and digging in or nosing in, and who can control the motors, especially so the, when it's a rough race.
0: The driver and the throttle guy are different guys.
2: Yeah. Oof. Well, in some cases, back in those days, you had three guys. You had a navigator as well. Okay. You know, when you're doing longer races like to the Bahamas or something. I literally know
0: nothing about this.
2: Stuff. Yeah, it was it's a weird thing. It wasn't very rewarding for me because you yeah. work on the boat and it goes away and you don't ever see it again. Yeah, you know, standing on a dock it sinks or it blows up and somebody <laughs> tows it in. So. Um, It wasn't very exciting uh, at that point, but um, Preston made a decision that he wanted to go car racing, and it was basically overnight. And um, we had actually bought an AMC Pacer that was the... (laughs) the (laughs) this
0: <laughs> this is gonna be a good story. This is a good
2: story. It was <laughs> oh, the it was the ex Howdy Homes. It was the ex Howdy Homes yeah. Easy Wider Rolling paper sponsored Pacer that was brown. I have brown. totally
0: seen a picture of that car.
2: Yes, I have pictures yeah. of the car. It was brown and white. Yep. And Rolling uh, Papers Pacer, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, we bought the Pacer, and we wound up taking it to Daytona for the pre-race before the 24-hour. And uh, to run it in the RS series. And Preston at that point wanted to do something better. And I remember we were working on the car. And he went off. I think we had the Daytona was there as well. He went off and came back about an hour later and told his wife and told myself I was his first full-time mechanic. Al Roberts worked with him uh, with the Ferraris, but I was the first full-time car mechanic he had. And we—he's smiling, and he said, "What'd you do?" And he said, "I just went over and bought myself a race car." Cool. And we said, "What? What do you mean?" And he says, "I just bought the backup car to the Interscope car, one of Ungiess's and Ted Fields's car."
0: Okay. What kind and of car was
2: that? Uh, it was a 935. Yeah, no big deal. So one of the black nine thirty five Just one
0: of the coolest Porsches ever made. No so, problem.
2: <laughs> so he actually—he actually, <laughs> so he actually started. The 24-hour um, in the race. He was just going to run, like, the first 30 minutes and then park it. Right. And as the race got going, and this was before he didn't have very much experience at the point. He probably shouldn't have been doing it in, in This is the, IMSA.
0: the, the Daytona 24-hour. Yes, okay. Daytona
2: 24-hour. Yeah. And coming through the tri-oval, his foot actually slipped off the brake pedal. And we discovered later there was a little brake fluid that was dripping on it. And he spun at speed across the trioval grass and came into the pit lane backwards about two feet from the wall, almost at pit out. Okay. never touched anything, didn't do any damage, and basically right in front of our pits. So we jumped over the wall, and he got out of the car and said, well, I'm done.
0: It's a good place to almost crash, uh, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And,
2: and the, you know, to this day, there's still not a wall at Daytona. Yeah. It's one of the few tracks in the world that you go to that if every now and then a car comes yeah. across the grass and can get into the uh, into the pit lane. But um you can never underestimate
0: was, where a car will go. That
2: was that was seventy nine. And um uh, then we started uh we started campaigning the car in uh in IMSA in seventy nine.
0: Did did he race the Pinto that no,
2: no, nah, his his kids did. Okay. not the not the Pinto. You laugh. Okay. They raced against Pintos. I remember at that time, Amos Johnson had Team Highball. And team highball was gremlins, uh, yeah. mainly gremlins. Yeah, I remember some and, of that. And I, remember I seeing think that. Charlie Cook yeah. had an AMC Hornet. I've read all about all this
0: old stuff. The 232, it's so different 232, 232 different.
2: straight six engine had a connecting rod about three feet long. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you revved it to like- 5,280 RPM. And if you went to 5,285, the crank broke in half. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they were cheap. <laughs> they were cheap to run. Just
0: run them until they blow up. Yeah,
2: but uh, I'll tell you a funny thing with the um, with the pacer. You asked me this earlier. With the pacer, we rented a um, gremlin from Amos, okay. and actually, the very first race that Bill and Don Whittington ever did was in the RS race before Sebring, and we ran them. Yeah. Their very first motor race, we ran them in the Gremlin and in the Pacer, <laughs> okay. and and I remember the after the first session, Don comes in and he goes, "This was the old course at Sebring, you know." <laughs> and so there basically was no frontier, you know. You just wouldn't go yeah. out and and I says, "Well, what do you think?" And he says, "Well, these guys are going like way what I consider outside of the track, right?" And I, I, and I said, didn't so... Didn't the Whittington Brothers run going?
0: Indy and all kinds yeah, yeah, of things? Yeah, they Indy? said on the oh, front yeah. road,
2: Indy. No, they, they, won they won Le mall. They won <laughs> Le mall. <Mans>. you <laughs> got to start somewhere. Yeah.
0: yeah. In the and, pacer uh, with
2: Gary. <laughs> and we said if they're <laughs> much Kremlin faster. <laughs> if they're much faster than you, then you need to just follow. Just do whatever they're doing. And that uh, fast, uh, I think we actually, finger. one of the cars didn't finish, but the other car finished okay. that race. And they had bought Al Hobart's 934. At that point, and Charlie Cook.
0: These cars were. Uh, what were these old Porsches costing back then? Like twenty grand? Yeah, nothing. Grand.
2: Nothing. It million just,
0: dollar cars
2: now. No, not even. Not even that. And uh, you wish. You know, you you would still buy them at a million bucks. I think. Oh yeah. Multiple millions. I think, the, millions I think dollars, the Dick Barber car that Newman finished sold for second. Five, I think. That's that's yeah. finished second at Le Mans with Newman in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sold for three point seven yeah, or Ed something Carolla like that. Yeah. paid
0: almost five, I think, with yeah. auction fees. <clears throat> yeah.
2: Big, big, huge numbers. Huge yeah. numbers.
0: His podcast is a little bigger than ours. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit.
2: But um, you know, anyway, back to back to the question you asked is um, I wound up in '85 going to work for Fitz. Yeah. And then stayed out of the country for a long time. That led me going to Brun Motorsports. Kay. That led to led to a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, on that we had a real good run four years with Brun, uh, in the heyday. What, uh, of what, group what C. What year were
0: you
2: with Uh, with uh 86, 86. We won the world championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, 86, 87, 88, and 89. And at that point, we were running, uh, we had a 956 but we had 962s and at one point we had three cars in Europe doing the World Championship, Inter Series, and Super Cup, which was the precursor yeah. to DTM, and then we had a car in the states, a Torno car, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we ran in the states, the selected races, and we, and then towards the end of '89, we kept a car in Japan, it's and so actually loud. ran the J, JPSC.
0: Now, were you flying around, just basically setting cars up, or we, what was your main? Th- g-
2: there was a group. I was a crew chief for the Jägermeister car, so okay. the 17 car in '86. <laughs> And um, when, when we tried it blows me away <laughs> thinking about it too. It was great times, though. But the um, we would have a period in like a six-week period that we would do five events on three continents. Right. So we'd come over and do the. Yeah, you would come so complain about nuts. going to Gingerman and then a month later you got to go, got to go to Kroger or something and go shopping. But yeah, uh, we would do the Miami Grand Prix. Right. And on Monday morning, we'd all be on a plane, the crew chiefs would all be on a plane and go to Japan, and then we'd do a race in Japan, and then we would all fly to Spain and meet the team. Had gone like to Jerez, I believe, was the race we would do at that point.
0: Yeah. You don't have email. There wasn't any mail. You didn't call. Yeah, back then, like, how do you exist? Like, nowadays, everybody's emails. You and, didn't. But did you have an apartment uh, where you right, No. Yeah. Uh,
2: at that point. You were just doing At stuff. that point, Walty Waltie Brun, Walty had us all. Uh, most of the guys, we lived in uh, little hotel rooms. Just and I mean, little hotel rooms. Like, the walls are eight feet across, and no bathroom, and, you know, you peed in the sink kind of thing, and had a little single bed in the thing, and... And it didn't care. You know, you didn't you know, know when you were traveling at that point, doing that kind of stuff. It was a fantastic time because we knew at that point the customer cars were so good. And the the Porsche in particular, the customer department, hated the Rothmans team. Yeah. So there was a big inner company dispute. Yeah. So we were the number one customer at that point because we had all these cars and and all of that more than Yost did and and doing more than Yost or Kramer. So we got... The that
0: he drops just...
2: (laughs) (laughs) So at that point, point, like in 86, they had developed a 3.2 liter qualifying engine that made 883 horsepower. Right. And we could only run it for no more than about 70 or 80 minutes. Right. And few laps. And the other thing that we had, we were one of the only German teams, and this is something I discovered in England, that the English teams, like Richard Lloyd and John Fitzpatrick, because you had some really smart guys, in particular with the Lloyd team, a lot of guys have been in McLaren Formula One, they had adapted a Salisbury Limited slip to go into the gearbox because yep. the gearbox, in all the other cars had a spool in it. mm uh-huh. So we had this dead, reliable titanium spool. I was telling
0: these guys about that on the way up. Yeah, yeah. Right.
2: These guys, yeah. you know, these days, everybody wants to whine about, I need more preload or less preload. The car doesn't turn in. You know what? Learn, learn to slide yeah. the yeah. car and step on the gas and watch it light up.
0: Just flick that thing and yeah, run. Yeah,
2: right. Exactly. So we put a limited slip in it, and between the combination of that motor yeah. and the limited slip and all the championships we ran, we had nine pole positions. And not just the World Championship. We had pole position at Spa, pole position at Nurburgring, yeah. and World this Championship. Is
0: with customer cars for the most part.
2: This is a, this is a customer like car. Like paying drivers. <clears throat> no, 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 okay. no. I had okay. Terry Bootson in the car. Oh, yeah, with Frank yeah. Jelinski. We had a We had we had real boys in the car. Okay. Um, but we were doing our own chips uh, with Alan Springer and Andile. Okay. So we had gotten the customer. You know, the the student had become the Teacher, yeah, um, you
0: were really developing.
2: We were really developing the cars. Um, they
0: you, speaking of the differential, you told me a story when after Grid Life South, uh, about um, uh, Peter Falk about pushing the car through the path. <coughs> <laughs> uh, Is
2: after it, at spa, we set on pole, right? At spa, and Terry did a there was one of these things at spa, he was just a master, and there was one kind of dry line. That went around the track, and it was qualifying, and, and he put the lap down with this giant motor that we had, and we sat on pole, I think, by eight tenths of a second over everybody. I mean, That's I cool. had a Warwick and Cheever and Lammers and all the big, you know, Baldy Ludwig, Stuck, Moss, all those guys.
0: Yeah, just Hans Stuck. hooked no big up. Deal. Just beat
1: that guy. Hooked up,
2: hooked <laughs> up. So, um, and. Then we changed the motor, we right. go back, then we put the 2.8 in there because right. it was fuel economy. You still had to run with, with a limited amount of fuel.
0: Yeah. And the fuel w- was the main limiter in it, the rest. It was. Yes. You
2: could have a 1,000 horsepower, but, but you, you didn't get the fuel the race, consumption, right. you couldn't finish oh, the race. Right so that actually came down it was autosport wrote that it was the best group c race uh, ever
0: yeah your balance of performance is here's how much fuel you get to have yeah we don't care how you get to it
2: don't care how you get to it
0: such a cool engineering
2: so we came down the end of the race comes down to the last lap and every time terry would get in the car he could get in the lead and every time frank would get in the car one of the jags would come ahead of him so it comes down to the last corner terry goes into the last corner we knew fuel was going to be extremely close he makes the corner in the lead steps on the gas, and the nose drops, and it bobbles. Falls out of his face. And the Jaguar at that point, I believe it was Warwick, comes in, goes ahead of him, and it bobbles. Yeah. And Terry gets it, runs across, gets the checkered flag, runs out of gas, yeah. and we finish nine-tenths of a second ahead of the Jaguar <laughs> and pumped out less than a liter of fuel from okay. the tank.
0: Yeah. So it's so, slashing out of the way. The
2: <laughs> So, yeah. So, the best part of this...
0: Yeah, this is my favorite part of this
2: ...was... Yeah, <laughs> mine too. <clears throat> so, the Rothmans team manager was Peter Falk, and Norbert Singer was their engineer.
0: Yeah, the Rothmans <laughs> Porsche team.
2: So, we're pushing the yeah. car, and these things were tanks. You know, had big rubber on the back of them. You had a yeah. spool in the back of it. It took six or seven men to push this thing around.
0: Especially when you're turning.
2: It took four of us. Yeah. So, we're pushing the thing, and Mr. Falk comes over, and... He says, boys, I'll help you. I was the only American in the world championship at the time, and it was known that, you know, it was kind of my car and stuff like that. So, boy, he says in English, boys, I'll give you a hand. We go, no, 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 we got it. We got it. So he puts his hand on the wing. He puts (laughs) his hand on the wing, and we're pushing it. Well, we're getting to the corner. Well, normally with a spool in the back of the car, the wheels are chirping. right? they're jumping. So what we would do, we would scuff our feet. (laughs) To make a chirping sound so that nobody listening to the car would understand what it is right. and so we're pushing the car to the corner and we're not looking at him and just kind of looking down the ground and we the start scoving our the feet
0: Rothmans team. <laughs> and,
2: and, he, and he looks he looks down he sees what we're doing looks over at me and he goes oh yeah now I know
0: <laughs> that's how he found out what you were doing for days. Yeah, so.
2: but it was uh, <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> so good. We
2: were we were we were hooked up at the point. The other thing that was really funny the the warm up at spa. This is how ahead of the game we were. Right. So, everybody was running a small secondary front wing. Okay. Or a small front wing on the nose of the car. Yeah,
0: what, what were like the aero limitations back then? What were you uh, allowed to do?
2: They basically, you could move the wings around, okay. you could add wings on the front of them. It, was, there, it wasn't like it was today. The yeah, one that, it's not homologation. It wasn't the homologation. Was I mean, you had motor back. specs that you had to stay within. But, right. um So, we said, let's just screw with the competitors. Oh, so, God. we had the nose that we were going to start out. So before the warm-up, we made fake wing plates and put, like, an old spad biplane wing on the front of it.
1: Right.
2: <clears throat> and and you, you work behind closed doors, and we put paper on the door so people couldn't look in the windows and right. stuff like that. So we waited till like, five minutes before the warm-up, rolled open the door and pushed the car out. And stood back, and here we have this dual-plane, you know, Fokker wing on the front of this thing. <laughs> it
0: looks like a World War One biplane. Yes.
2: <laughs> and you had everybody. I mean, um, Tony Southgate came down, the engineer from the or the designer of the Jaguar. Everybody was standing there looking at it, and then about 60 seconds before we go, we pop the pins out and stick the real nose on the thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was great. It was great times. It's it really so was fun. it really was some it's of the best. It's such
0: a different professional racing series than we yeah. have now. Yeah. yeah. You know? It
2: was and you know you did you did this in the shop. We had two guys per car.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, yeah. so we were running, you know, you had a guy, you know, that would that would you know, do some paint and body work right. and stuff like that, and do some repair stuff. But basically, yeah, we ran most of these like cars.
0: Jim and Bob just fix the car. You know, And, like the car goes back.
2: And, and what you would do, like after the race, you would you might be going to the next weekend would be in an Inter Series race. So only the Je- only the car was orange. Okay. All the other cars were white, and mm-hmm. they weren't didn't have full wraps. So
0: Yeah, how were you doing the, paint and body and, and vinyl back then? The
2: the vinyl was just you would go out like the, the Torno car. When you right. look and see the Torno car, the IMSA car at that point was, you know, the red, white and and green, uh Peter Reiners, the team manager, would go to Walmart and buy like uh, shelf lining paper. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. And with a heat gun, right. and put it all over, it. Oh. and then it was a free cut. Just, just hand take an exacto cut with the, knife and uh, just kind of get Picasso on the thing, and go through. And that's why if you look at the Torno car, yeah. it was the easiest car on the, to, to wrap. You know, yes. you take a white nose and you stick some green on one corner and some red on the other corner. Call you know, it good. warm it all up, <laughs> <laughs> squeegee it down, and then just free cut it. You know.
0: Oh, that's so weird, man. There
2: wasn't anything. So that the yeah. first thing you would do after a race. Is that was the prep? You know, the managers at that point would go through with a heat gun, warm it up, pull all the decals off it, clean it with lacquer thinner, and start stickering it before it even went into the truck
0: for the next race.
2: For the next race, we would even jump on the car at some point when it came out of tech and like pop the motor out of it.
0: Just quick pop the motor out of it. Was it it, like six bolts?
2: No, it was a little bit more than that with a 962. (laughs) You know, DTM car, I think we did an engine change between the races in seven. In eight minutes.
1: No way.
2: And Yost did one in like seven and a half minutes. What kind of car? In the Opel. Opel DTM in 95. Seven and a half minutes. Seven and a half. Comes in hot. Picked the thing up. But they were built. They were built like that. You know, the oil tank was all pressure. The radiator was on. Everything was on. Like quick disconnect fittings? Yeah, yeah. 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 Quarter turn. All the air equipment was just quarter turn stuff four bolts in the thing, it all came out, a couple of, you know, throttle, throttle cable, and then you would have another one completely set up, and and from start to finish, yeah. start to finish, yeah, thigh flex with a quarter turn, just self-sealing. Two, two, yeah. yeah, really, it's really trick. DTM in those days was as trick as anything. It was the most complicated. We had, you know, four-wheel drive, three differentials, right. a center diff, you know, a front rear diff, yeah. adjustable power steering. How did
0: you get into DTM stuff? What, um, uh, what were you running in that? At, uh, I had been
2: at... I had been at... I got to a point in 95, uh, I was doing uh, logistics at Le Mans. So I had, you know, okay. some chateau. I wasn't running a car. Uh, I did that two years. Uh, one year we ran Cunningham's Nissans. Okay. And I provided houses and... Um, one of my friends is the beaumont family. Van now is the technical director for the ACO, Right. And his mother and I, they had, when he was growing up, his family had been our timing um, signal people for years. Yeah. And so we'd stay at their house. And so we wound up developing uh, four or five houses and a chateau. And in 94, I think we did uh, Cunningham's Nissans. And then in 95, we did... Uh, Andy Evans Ferrari and helped uh, uh, Riley and Scott when they ran yeah. and uh, I was going to take off and I would bought a motorcycle and was just going to drive down the south of France and screw around and one of the guys that worked with um, Carl Jennings who wound up going to Yost he was technical director at Rossburg mm-hmm. and uh, we just happened to talk after Le Mans and he said uh, you want to come to Norris Ring and he goes when he goes like now Mm-hmm. And uh, Tonight, I North wound south. up instead of going south, I went uh, east and drove to Norris Ring and then ran KK, and ran KK in, uh, <laughs> ran KK in the um, in DTM for '95 for the rest of the season. Okay. But yeah, it was a. We had at Hockenheim, we actually had aerodynamic uh, changes in the car. You know, when you went into top gear, the wing would change from negative two to plus four. Was that and,
0: legal back then?
2: It was kind of a gray area. It was,
0: <laughs> yeah. So what? So it was for, about
2: and temperature control louvers on the front grill.
0: For listeners, what were you? What were you running then? What kind of car?
2: What were you running? Yeah, right? What
0: car were you running? back then? It
2: was a Opel factory car. Okay. Uh, Yost had four cars, and Rosberg had two. We had Klaus Ludwig in one, and KK Rosberg in the second yeah. one. Um, extremely complicated cars. Williams Formula One. We met Patrick Head. come over. They did all the power steering system we had adjustable abs five-way adjustable abs on the car and we're talking 95 yeah that's um, a long time ago in
0: abs world
2: sequential shifters blippers on the throttle so just put your foot down and just, just shift it as yeah. far forward and it did everything itself Cosworth uh did the engines on it and stuff yeah. but interesting not not really satisfying why is that um, the best example, John Shampiro came over, and Johnny's a fantastic. He's running a bunch of cars <laughs> right now, and they just won uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeo yep. with J.C. Perez and Pro-Am. But really good touch. So we get over there, the frigging car, because of all these differentials, takes like eight people to push it around. And so it's about the second, about the second race, and we had a. Uh, the crew chief on the car was a Williams Formula One guy, but he really wasn't very good, as a lot of Formula One guys are. They're very specified, yeah, they're specific wrong. in what they do. Yeah. Um, so he's getting frustrated, and KK comes to us, and he goes, okay, Gary, what what would you guys do? And we go, look, this thing's a tank. You know, it's like a G-Wagon. I says, <laughs> you know, I says, what would you do? And I says, if we were in the States, we'd loosen the diffs up. Yeah. You got a horrible mid-corner understeer because the thing wants to go straight and climb a mountain. Right. So we weren't allowed to touch the transmission. So we waited till the Opal guy uh, left, and Johnny and I pulled the gearbox out of the car, took it in the shop, into the back of the shop. uh, And this was at, I forget the racetrack we were at. But anyway, we're at a racetrack when we do this. We get into a room, lock the door. Right. And the team leaves, and we stay there and pull the three diffs out of this thing, the center diff and the front and rear diff, take the diffs all apart, sand it, take the shims out of it, Just get this thing down the to shims. about 45 pounds of preload or something, right. put it all back together again, stick it back in the car, and we're done like at 4 o'clock in the morning.
0: A DTM car.
2: A DTM car. Yeah. So nobody knows us except the team manager. That. team manager. Carl at the, <clears throat> Carl Jennings at the point he was technical director right. Johnny and myself car goes out in the morning and the first session KK is almost 9 tenths of a second
0: faster <laughs>
2: <clears throat> right now so the car goes yeah. around the
0: corner you, you didn't know? make bad changes.
2: so he comes back in he's got a big smile on his face and goes okay what's the next thing you do this so "That you got no droop in this thing hey. You know, yeah. in the back. Let's put some droop. Let's put a you know a little bit longer rods yeah. on this thing. Let's get some compliance in it. Get this, make these tires work. Right. So we start working on that. We run the second session. We're going quicker. All of a sudden, here comes over the Opel engineers. So they got a big, giant dial torque wrench, and they go, and we don't know who who squealed. And he said, we want to check some stuff. What do you want to check? Well, we want to check some preloads. So they started checking the preloads. So
0: they're putting torque wrenches on They're putting torque wrenches,
2: on, putting torque wrenches on the on hubs and turning the hubs, and, turning the hubs the and realizing that, that it's not what it's supposed to be. Right. So KK, the team manager, Carl, myself get pulled into the motorhome. Right. The head guys from Rolfo were there, and they said, what have you done? And we kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, and we said, uh, we loosened loosen up the diffs. Why? Who told you to do this? Uh, nobody. You know, our years of experience told us to do this. You're not allowed to do this.
0: Why aren't you allowed to do that?
2: Because it's this is about Opal money, and you will do what Opal says <laughs> oh, that you must do.
0: Okay. This is not a serious thing. No. no, 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 no.
2: This was this was you, it. Works cars, right. right? And so
0: that's why you. They made the it ride clear. Ride.
2: They made it clear to us, and we had to wait. We, I mean, we knew we weren't supposed to do it, but it's yeah. one of those things. So, the final word that I got before I was told to leave the trailer was, but we went faster, and they said that's not the point. The point is, you weren't supposed to touch the gearbox. Right. So, it got to the point where they basically said that if you ever do this again, we'll take the entire deal away from you. That's how serious they were about it.
0: It wasn't about winning. So, racing? yeah. yeah. Well, they're not on? anymore.
2: They're not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and at that point, we did win. You know, that year, I think we won with Klaus, once or twice or something. But I mean, basically, Mercedes was kicking their ass at that right. point. Was Mercedes, yeah, so what was the main point Alfred, for them? Like, I, we, I don't know. Is I it just to this egos day, I I or? think a little bit of that. Right. It was a little bit of that. Wow. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, That's not how you build like it, I right? said, this was the part that was unsatisfying because
0: yeah.
2: with Porsche, all the years that we ra- raced with Porsche, because it was, at that point, it was a customer program versus a works program. Right. But, I mean, we moved the rear wing around, you know, later on in the 89, 90, 91, my home track became Fuji in right. Japan. So I had a 200-mile-an-hour test Fair track way, on yeah. it so we would <laughs> move the main plane move the main plane you know, of the wait, wing those, forward those six teams? or seven six or seven you know inches forward really oh yeah and when we when we set the car up to go to Lamont 90 the first year with the chicanes right we went there there was only two teams that went with with high down force us and brun okay and we wound up with Tiffany Dell David Sears and Anthony Reed finishing third and running down the Jaguars at Tiffany the
0: end Dell yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs>
2: yeah, Tiff's, Tiff's a great guy, but you know, not three, not three yeah. superstars. You know, it wasn't three Formula One guys. Right. It was three right. good, serious guys, but you know, not a blistering pace. So but wow. it, but you know, and at that point, we were told before the race. Porsche said, you need to change the bodywork back. And we said, we've done the numbers. We have a different wing on better. the back. It's in a different shape. It's got a different core. We right. know that the fuel will make it. We're, we're not was, doing it.
0: Was Porsche supportive of that? Or?
2: No, not in the beginning. But then they were happy as hell well, at the yeah, end of it and said we made wins. the right decision. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Um, so... How did, how did, from the mid-'90s to now, like, what was your transition into uh, working with us? <laughs> Why are you here, Gary? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what, what I, did you do after you ran DTM car?
2: Um, I,
0: I stopped
2: racing in, uh, after Le Mans 96. Okay. And uh, went off and did something else for a while. Okay. And
0: in... I've heard about the something else stuff. uh, I kind of want to do a full podcast on that.
2: No, we can't do a full podcast on it. But (laughs) it basically wound up in Central America and Africa for about 13 years.
0: It's so bizarre. And...
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I wound up, I wound up, I'm good friends with Mark Raffoff, and at that point, uh, Mark was technical director um, at Grand Am, Okay. and they wanted a series manager, and I wound up coming back and became uh, Rolex series manager for uh, seven years, and then was (laughs) IMSA series manager uh, at the merger with ALMS. And And now you're at a bar with us in Detroit. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. At least I got you out of the racetrack before midnight.
1: That's right. <laughs> I had a question. but That's probably a whole other podcast in itself. Yeah. But you you had said earlier that things get got less interesting as the car became more complicated. And the nature of racing is you keep innovating, making things more complicated, go faster and faster. But does that now make it less interesting? Because interesting you're taking the person out of it, the driver out of it. <clears throat> What's that tension I, I, I like? Th- of I like think as you saying, develop I, race cars, but I, it becomes less interesting.
2: I, you know, there's a lot of the a lot of the old guys. You know, Mike Colucci is won you know the Rolex seven times or something. ran Brumos, ran Action uh, Express. Um, you know, John Shapiro. But there were there were times, and I'll use the Sara Lee car uh, that ran in uh, '94 and '95, the Spice. When, when IMSA went to the topless cars, I think it was, uh, I forget what it was called at that point, you know, WSPC or something like that. And we took the Spice chassis and said, okay, what can we do to make this better? Well, let's look at the electromotive Nissan. How about if we change the whole body on this thing, bore a bunch of holes in it, change the way the cooling's done, and pass all the air? through the inside of the car and not have any openings except for the openings in the front kind of like the nissan look at an old copy of uh of nissan basically and we converted a spice to that and only ran a couple of races with it actually finished second at sebring uh with it uh broke the lap record at uh at Road with it with lammers i had lammers wallace and derek bell and uh in the car and we were allowed to have that freedom and you know there was only there was only you know a little a little group of like five of us um there was a group of like five of us that you know that did all that figuring it out yeah we had a pedo tube and a magna Hela gauge and and would look at it and it was you know You were able to use the years and decades of combined experience to go, you know what? This sucks. Let's do it this way. We built that last car that we did for Auto Toy Store. Um, and, and just start it from scratch. Let's put the redundancy in it. let's put two sets of brake lights in. this is before LEDs, let's put the 24 volt bulbs in the 12 volt system so you don't break the filaments on it so you can yeah, funnel around like if see your do not work yeah, you, you, you got to come in and fix yep. the thing you know let's let's do the kind of smart things. wire each headlight individually. you know resettable breakers, you know no relays in the car great big switches so you didn't have to worry about I didn't want a relay because I want this little teeny girl switch you know on the thing no I want a switch I want a switch yeah fuck it you know I want a 60 amp I want a 60 amp start button and I push the button and it talks to the starter and the solenoid not right. something that's got to go over here and talk to this and ask permission to go do something else. You the
0: car. The driver I want to be able to, to, the car, the so,
2: to, be able to never g- have to do anything to well, the car because it's built right.
1: That, that it's just a few of you solving it together the, versus yes. having to deal with a huge group of people. I, I think that the, if you kept it small, you can still, no matter how advanced things get, I, I it can think, still be exciting. I
2: think the biggest thing at that point, Sean, is that you could use your own initiative mm-hmm. to yeah. be able to go out and do something. And, you know, right now, and I've been involved in writing, you know, helping to write the rule books for, you know, seven years and all the time at Grand Am and going up into IMSA at the merger on it, I think that the homologation to the, to the point of where it is now, you can't do anything. No, you can't do anything.
0: You get a spec you know, car. You get you, it it.
2: Basically, even, yeah. to the, even to a DPI car, yeah. It is basically a malleated car. That's the diplane. That's the position of the diplane. This is the size of this. This is where this goes. You can't put on. a hole. You can't put this.
0: We had Jeff Braun on, and he was yeah, I know about, Jeff very well. He was talking about with the LMP3 car that he's running right now. Yeah. that like you got to use the same switch. Yeah. You got to use the same like sensor. There, there's the, wh- the and whether plate. it's a good Everything.
2: or bad, whether, whether it's good or bad. It's you it's know all spec. So. The, the joy yeah. the us. joy yeah. of being able to, look, a, a lot of us that were in racing at that point, you know, we didn't have master's degrees in engineering, but you know what? You go race with some of the best guys in the world, and you get an education from those guys. Yeah. You know, I had Peter Gregg in the car, you know, but only a couple of times. You know, we've had guys like Rick Mears and Foyt. And and Boots and Larari and keep on got Joch and Kipon, Maas and keep on going down the list of these guys, having those kind of guys. Bob Wallach. Bob Wallach taught us stuff in Japan on fuel consumption that we were blown away. We go, how how did you do this? How did you do this lap time? And he would look at me and smile, and he says, I was always the best. And he goes, It's more boost and less RPM. And we go, okay, I noticed you turn the boost up, but you use less RPM. He says, of course, it's the RPM that kills it when you're on a long straight, like at Fuji or Lamont. Right. You're better off at that point if you have the confidence that you're not going to hold a piston with, right. a, with a boost. Yeah,
0: if the tune is
2: good, it, you're right. Uh, as yeah. to do that. And it amazed us. And having guys like that all of a sudden made you as smarter. You know, you're only as smart as the guys that are working around you or the guys you're working with.
1: So I think that's an encouraging answer. That it doesn't matter if technology continues to improve. It's just the ability to change it yourself and continue but to y- you know experiment. I, I think that I think that
2: the really fun thing, especially with the time attack stuff, is that when you get into things, you know, let's what if I took a turbocharger and flipped it around backwards and brought the air in from this way well that might suck it might not do anything or it might be really good i'll give you an example of this the 935 the original manifold of the 935 went in and had all these massive air tubes that came in from the intercooler that went down to the turbo and even with a twin turbo like the k26 is on it it still had turbo lag okay right jerry woods to Jerry's out in California, and to this day is one of the smartest guys when it comes to thinking about stuff, was the first guy that I know of said, huh, why couldn't we just take the standard big cast manifold and flip it around? And I can eliminate about five feet
0: of lot. intercooler tubing lot, yeah. and just go
2: whoop down to the turbo and down to here and be done. And we did it you know you could do that kind of stuff yeah, you were stuff. allowed to do that you were allowed to do that kind you of stuff you didn't have
0: a homologated part you didn't have somebody that just, said this, this is what
2: you're going to do it doesn't matter if it's good or bad and and that's to me that's one of the things right now you've lost that inventive spirit you know this is what it is it's been decided by the series by the sanction body by the agreement with the with the manufacturer that this is how the car is going to be presented and that's what it is You know, I mean, it got to a point in in DTM where you have RFID tags, so you couldn't go out and remake a, you know, four yards of carbon, a little bit of foam and a couple of aluminum bobbins was a $16,000 splitter in 1995 where you can look at it and go, uh, Petey Bell could make that thing for about 500 bucks. Yeah. You know, they would come by, they would and actually and... come by with a scanner and sweep wow. the bodywork
0: to make sure you weren't doing that in kind of stuff. In the 90s? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, so, what led you back to racing with, uh, we met you at Road Atlanta a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah. I had, uh, uh, when I came back, um, I had a brief stint out at Scuderia Corsa in uh, Beverly Hills with a Ferrari team. Okay. And,. Um, I had an opportunity. I kind of wanted to get off the road. I think we had 11 events in April. Okay. Uh, I didn't have to go to all of them, but we had 11 events. In one month? Yeah, yeah. It lot. was like Tuesday at Thunder Hill, Wednesday at Thermal, three cars in PwC, one car ready for Le Mans, one car in Emsa. Yeah. And it was a madhouse. And uh, I got an opportunity to go to Rhode Atlanta for, for three years Okay. where I met you guys. I think the interesting thing for me is I see... You guys have put a lot of the fun back in, into racing, and yes, it's serious, and yes, you had to be careful because people are going fast. But with what you're doing right now, with a lot of there's some freedom in the stuff that you're doing. Well, yeah, that's tough. Um, yeah. you know, in the time and time and tax stuff and things like that, and it's and it's seeing, you know, it's seeing that there is fun in motorsports. You know, it's not all about you know <laughs> cow-toeing to the yeah. corporate OEM at that at that point but
0: so we're 45 minutes into this thing. a uh, good
2: thing to start up with yeah. one question w- right.
0: when you see professional motorsports now, what do you see like do you see Whew. fun do you see cool things to watch or what do you see now
2: I uh, I'm actually not the right guy to ask for this well, because what I, I say what I see <laughs> what I see is empty stands,
0: yeah. And, and uh, I, I see a lack of ingenuity, and yeah. I see a lot of the same cars. I see Spec Miata with million-dollar cars.
2: Yeah, I see. Um,
0: not that any, there's I, anything wrong with Spec Miata. That's some of the best racing. Cars
2: oh I've yeah, seen. absolutely. Yeah. You put 50 of the same things going yeah. the same speed with the same talent guys in it. It's fun as hell watching it. Yeah. Um, but I think the problem the problem that we have is getting people engaged. Yeah. And again, I'm I'm not blowing the smoke over you guys killed here, but that's one of the things that's interesting about what you do with a much younger um, you got the youngest crowd and i tell this to everybody that will that will listen to me you got the youngest crowd the uh, youngest paddock in, in motorsports anywhere and everybody else is is if they don't know about it will be jealous about it and those that do know about it are also spreading the word about it the problem that we've got right now the attention span of everybody's shorter Nobody's loading four cases of Falstaff beer on the Pontiac Safari wagon and driving to Watkins Glen and standing next to the chain-link fence That's for true. three days and camping in the mud, except the old guys. Well, they you know? kind
0: of do it at our place. They <laughs> can't do it with that vehicle. But, but it, it's, it's
2: with all the distractions, the short attention span that other people have, with all the stuff to be able to do, with everybody's responsibility, nobody's doing it. You go to—there's a few series— you know, still a lot of people come to Indy. Daytona, 24 hours, got as good a crowd as it's, if it's ever had. Batite yeah. had a good year last year. Yeah. Uh Mans, because it's an event, right. always has a good crowd. But when you, when you look at the television numbers, when you look in the stands, when you look at NASCAR, when you look at some of the IndyCar stuff, I mean, we were at the—I'm going back six to seven years when— Grand ran with, uh, with uh, IndyCar at Homestead. Right. And it was the finale, and it was Frank Heddy and Dixon was going to win. It was our final race as well. And John Erickson, who was one of the team managers with Penske at that point, he and I were counting how many fans were in the stands, and we estimated about 1,200. Right. That was it. There were more people in the paddock than there was in the stands for the finale of IndyCar. Right. And I mean, you're talking with Dario and and, uh, and Dixie. Those are fairly you yeah, know fairly teams. engaging guys. Right. Um, and, nobody at 8,
0: and nobody cared. And
2: nobody cared. Nobody cared. And that's you know part of the thing of Homestead. And one nobody cares about Homestead.
0: Right.
2: Down at that area. Uh, and, and when they do the cup finale there, you look in the parking lot and it's all people from Tennessee and Georgia and Carolina and Alabama. They're driven down there to see it.
0: So, how do you make motorsports fun? What, uh, what would you do?
2: I think uh, these days it's got to be short and exciting. Right. I think, uh, and I can say this not being a NASCAR anymore, one of the most painful things for me to watch would be to try to sit down and watch the Charlotte 600. Right. You know, I mean, it should be the Charlotte 160. Okay. Um, I think one of the things, it's got to be, it's got to be good competition. It's got to be good competition. It's got to be people doing the thing. It's got to be fun. Right. Uh, it's a shame. The, Do the, you think the relatability
0: whole... to the cars comes <clears> into
2: it? Yeah, I think it does a little bit. Right. But I, uh, but I also think that there's, there's a fun, exciting. There, there needs to be a wow factor. Right. You go to a Formula One race. And listen to the turbos go by, and then crank it back three or four years and listen to a V10 go by at 19,400 RPM. Man, dear boy, I'm telling you, yeah, we man. had them at we had them at Rhode in the springtime. It's unbelievable, and, and it's unbelievable. I mean, you're you're giggling like a schoolgirl with this thing goes hold by. That noise. You, it, it's just a wonderful noise. You it's don't a, care what it's in. It, it's just yeah. a wonderful noise. Yeah. So there's got to be a wow factor. Whether it's shooting flames out. right, and, and, you know, the turbos shot flame, 935s did, the single the single turbo on the 962s. Yeah, on the
0: way here, Mike Cohn was telling us cars that bark flames are cooler than cars that don't bark flames.
2: It's sad that the whole rallycross thing really hasn't taken hold. Yeah. But look at the direction where those guys and I and I look at a few the few motorsports things that I actually watch to see the motorsports World Rally. Right. I love World Rally. I watched That's Dakar. I did. I was team manager for Kia in Paris Dakar. Of course you were. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, watching. We'll talk
0: about that on another podcast. Well, OK.
2: <laughs> the battery's running low. But, you know, watching that kind of stuff and the, the rally cross cars, you know, who doesn't like a 600 horsepower all wheel drive Volkswagen so spitting in flames? Yeah. And banging into each other. It's
0: just like it. That barks. Especially bangs. if you
2: can crash into Scott Speed and anything. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: So I, I think that's that's part yeah. of it. It's got to be entertainment. It's got to yeah. be. It's got to be. If you're going to get people to leave, if you're going to get people to leave their house right. and come out to do something, it race. has to be an event. Whether it's something else, and and we know this from all the studies that have been done and everything we've gone through in the NASCAR time, is that if you're going to get the family out, it right. should be a camping venue. And if you think you're going to get the family to come two days to the racetrack. You know, and just stand there and watch race cars, you're kidding yourself. Yep. You know, so it, it's gotta, it's gotta, you know, there really needs to be bells and whistles and arching elephants and humanely treated, of course, of course. And, and all the rest of the stuff that goes and on.
0: Car shows. But it's,
2: gotta, it's gotta be other yeah. stuff to do. And oh, by the way, you know, there's a motor race here. Long Beach is a great example of that. Yeah. You can go to Long Beach as an event. Between Robbie Gordon stadium trucks, you know, the dirt people come in for that. And then the Formula Drift people come in. And you can watch the, the the fan base change completely even to the color the clothes they're wearing. You know, the Drift people come in, they're all in black. The, 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 the sand people for Robbie's course and the wine and cheese people come in you know and and that that's a great show i think it's one of the best shows anywhere anywhere and in the meantime there's people on stilts and there's a 10 foot tall Marilyn Monroe walking next to a 10 foot tall Elvis and there's great food and there's music and it's fun and oh by the way there's cars on track if you want to watch that yeah that's what's got to happen because so, if not, people just stay at home.
0: So people nowadays are plenty entertained at home. They just want to go have fun somewhere else. Yeah. So we yeah. got to provide fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. It, and I hate to keep It's the same thing with the wow factor. We were talking earlier about the people that want to sit at Daytona for the 500 on the first five or six rows of the trioval. Right. They get totally sandblasted. You get rubber stuck to you, but you smell it. You're close enough to see the cars pushing each other. You know, you can't see, smell, and hear that on TV.
0: No, you can't.
2: You know, and if you can't get the fan base close enough to see that kind of stuff, then they're going to go and go, I'm bored, you know? Chris was talking about he was just at, I won't name the racetrack or the series, And he says, I realized after about 15 minutes that I'm just watching cars not racing each other, just kind of separated, driving around, and and this is kind of boring, and the kids are bored, and the wife is bored, and uh, we're going to go do something else. And, uh, you know, whatever that is, that's not good for long term because that leads you know it leaves a bad taste and why do you want to go to the racetrack we didn't have a good time when we were there last time yeah you uh, gotta have a good time kind of a,
0: kind of one of the core tenets of like like why do we do this stuff like why do we do grid life why do yeah. we do honda mate it's like well we have fun at racetracks how do we make sure that racetracks exist in 25 years
2: i think that's that's a that's a big everybody issue
0: everybody else has to have fun at racetracks yeah.
2: that's so, a that's a big issue
0: yeah, yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta. Race
2: tracks, race tracks, rely on people buying tickets. If you're not getting TV money, people need to be buying yeah. tickets. You need to put seats, you know, yeah. people in seats, butts TV in seats. TV money is hard to get nowadays. TV money is hard to get, and sometimes
0: you got to pay them.
2: And when you're looking at those kind of things, how do you get people to leave their house? If I can sit, yeah. like I can sit on my couch and have my kitchen, yeah. and my bathroom and my You know, fuzzy slippers on and the dog's head on my lap and sit there and have (laughs) 18,000 channels of cable (laughs) and internet. Um, yeah.
0: My kid is way cuter than a bunch of Time Attack cars, but I came anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. They well, spit like flames. You got a like, note from your daughter on
1: your race race car that yeah. says, "I loved working on this race car yeah. with you, Daddy." Yeah. 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 Right.
0: I do have that note on my race car. Yeah. yeah. Well, I uh, I appreciate you coming on, Gary. We should probably put you to bed. You've been up for like thirty hours. Yeah, something uh, like that. And we're into this like thing a... for almost an hour. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, Thanks well, for. Uh,
2: We'll Thanks do for again, asking. Man. We got some good stories. We'll get yeah, back together. Yeah, again. we'll
0: do it again. We'll yeah, do it. okay. Uh, yeah, we we had a we had a suggestion from Sean here about. Uh, uh, in the future, why don't you just do a podcast with Gary? And it says, "Hey Gary, pull out your Rolodex. Let's call someone." <laughs>
2: we, uh, <laughs> actually, we can't actually do that, and there are actually some numbers you don't get to see. Yeah, so I would, uh, I, I, yeah.
0: I, would uh, I would, in the future, like to bother some of your friends. <laughs> you, know you know,
2: there there are some guys that will uh, that would actually be fun well, to we, do. That. Uh,
0: I'm glad we know Gary, and I'm glad Gary thinks life was fun. <laughs> <laughs> G- Gary is my new favorite toy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys. Thanks, soon. guys. Good night.